Welcome to Ranch Girl Rants Podcast, where a couple of cowgirls talk about pretty much everything. Social issues, current events, true crime cases, ranch living, and we even delve into the hunt for Bigfoot. This podcast may contain strong language and is suitable for mature audiences. Well, hello there, everybody. It's another episode Ranch, Ranch Girl, Girl Rants. Rants. And I'm Jan. And I'm Denise. And today we have a very special guest. Yes. Hey. Shelly Covington, Montana. She lives in Texas and she is a wildlife tracker and a Bigfoot researcher. Very cool. And she's kind of very well known in this whole circle of um, Sasquatchery, correct? Exactly. Yeah. She's, I learned of her from my friend Cindy Cadell, who we've had on another podcast, um, another researcher. And she's been uh, working with Shelly on doing research and uh, Shelly also um, is friends with Ken Gerard that wrote the book, The Ultimate Guide to Bigfoot. I think it's The Ultimate Guide to Bigfoot, okay. which just came out. Very interesting book. It's not some, you know, cuckoo rant. It's a, he's very scientific approach, very objective. I, I thought it was a good book. I think you read it too as well, right? Yes, yeah. I did. And uh, he also lives in Texas, so Shelly and, and uh, Ken are friends. Um, but no, I just thought that, you know, in talking with Cindy, she said, you know, Shelly's a very interesting person, um, very brave, it appears. She's hiked out in the woods for you know, weeks at weeks. a time. Right. I, yeah. I, did, I did a little bit of background on her, and she's, it stays out in the wilderness, I mean, up to a month, apparently, by herself. That's crazy. Yeah. Braver yeah. than I. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> she does carry a gun, from what I understand. I, don't I blame just, yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I would, mean, too. Yeah, and, and I saw a picture of her, her tr- little truck with her camp, her tent mm-hmm. uh, on the top, and there's a ladder. It's pretty interesting. She's got quite the setup. All right, Denise, we have somebody very special on the phone right now. Shelley? Hi, I'm uh, Shelly Covington, Montana, and I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm a mother and a, a wife. I've been married now for 33 years and uh, when I work and which I haven't done a lot here in the last year or so because I've been so busy on the road and doing all my Bigfoot stuff um, I'm a, a cosmetic vendor for a major cosmetic company but I'm a subcontractor so I can work as, as I need or when I want um, I prefer to be in the woods and not be in a store so but um, I do a lot of you know, outdoor activities. I'm a, a certified tracker. I was just certified last spring. Uh, I'm a fisherman. I do a ton of that. Matter of fact, this week I was going to try to go fishing. Um, just anything, you know, fossil hunting. I do a ton of fossil hunting when I'm at home. We're very fortunate in Texas that we have lots of great fossil beds out here and uh, we're able to, on public lands, we're able to actually go out and collect fossils and artifacts, uh, Native American artifacts, and which is pretty cool because it's also kind of in a region where there's a few Bigfoot sightings here and there. And so really, you know, anything wilderness-motivated, survival skills, I'm always trying to practice those. Tracking is a big thing for me. Anything to do with conservation that I can get involved with, i I like to do, um, I do spend time during the school year teaching 
children about uh, the scientific aspects of looking into cryptids. You know, when I get invited out, which happens, you know, here and there, and uh, do a lot of conferences during this time of year and, and some radio shows. And so that's what I do. <laughs> so I know I know this is a question that you've answered a billion times. I've, I've, I've gone back and listened to a couple of your other interviews online, um, but you, you started this whole journey of your search for Sasquatch because of an encounter that your husband had back in 1982. So give us a little rundown, a little short version of how that all happened for him. Sure. Um, well, like I was saying earlier, I've known my husband now uh, over 40 years. I met him when I was 13. I'm 56 now. Uh, we've been married 33 years. And So what you're saying actually, is you believe him. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> At this point, you've been together long enough for like, I believe the guy. <laughs> yeah. Been, oh, yeah. That's the point. Yes. He's been well vetted. Exactly. <laughs> He had told me the story, and he didn't tell me everything. He was just trying to pick my brain about something that happened to him in East Texas in the woods when he was on a hunting trip. But he was by himself waiting for another gentleman that I knew that was going to meet up with him the next day. But Don had driven off into the Angelina National Forest back then, and... Um, back when you could go off-road with your four-wheel drive, you know, and and uh, they'd been there, I think, a few times. It was kind of one of their favorite spots to hunt, and uh, he said that he basically just threw out his sleeping bag underneath the tailgate of his truck and had his weapons, made a fire, and I think he was probably having something to eat or drink and laying under his tailgate, and um, basically something started circling his camp in the tree line and was breaking large tree limbs. And he thought at first it was a cow, maybe. It had to be something, you know, something local, something known, and something large. And so he said he ran through his mind thinking, well, is it a cow, is it a horse? And he said, then again, it circled a second time. And he knew that, this thing was not basically what he told me was he was invited to leave the forest in his words. Uh, he never actually saw it. He just felt very, I think, uh, intimidated, I guess a little bit. Uh, he felt like it did not want him there. And, um, so throughout the years for about 25 years, I'd say he would talk about this story, but he would never, Say he thought it was Bigfoot, he would never say it, that um, he, well, he said it, it intimidated him and ran him out of the woods, but I had no idea. I couldn't think for nothing what it could be, and we'd talk about it and talk about it, and then one day, I said, are you talking about Bigfoot? And he <laughs> said, well, I just didn't want you to think I was crazy, and so... I knew from that point forward, I, I knew my husband well enough to know he was not crazy and he'd never been a liar. He's never lived this extremely solid. And he was a little, a he was a hunter. So, you know, the hunters are in tune to sounds. They've been out there. 
listening mm-hmm. for wildlife. They know what deer sound, you know, wrestling of what a deer sounds like in the woods and possibly bear and in Texas, probably wild boar. And I'm sure he knew what those sounds sounded like. So in his yeah, did mind, did it sound bipedal? Did he say, or did he know? Um, I don't, I don't recall. I just know that he, his main concern was he knew it was moving, of course, but it was breaking limbs. It was big. Limbs. Did he see yes. any of the limbs that it broke after the fact? Or I, Well, he jumped in his truck and drove out of there, ran over the fire and left. Yeah, and he said when it started the second time around, he knew this was not a cow or a horse mm-hmm. or it was something he was he didn't want to mess with, and um, he drew, He said he drew, he jumped in the truck, threw his sleeping bag in the truck and his guns, drove over the campfire and spent the night at a at a gas station and waited for his buddy. And he said they went back. His buddy showed up, and they went back the next morning. He tried to explain to his buddy. His buddy was like, "You're crazy." And he said it was all torn up. You know, he he said he could see where the his broken large branches. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Large branches, you know, at a higher at higher up above his head. And wow. um, mm. he never really understood what it was, but I think he had a good idea. And as time went on, I think he and then later down the road, which I really don't tell a lot of people about, but he ended up having a second encounter a few years later, but he was with a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And they were hunting coyotes, and they were, it was in the middle of the night, they were spotlighting for coyotes on, I don't remember if it was some lady's land, but I know he did a lot of that, you know, hunting varmint, because um, people want, you know, their chickens, they're getting killed and right, things. Right, they're and, a nuisance. Yeah, and he said, um, so basically almost the way he described, I've not been to this area, I, don't, I think it's probably not even, we couldn't even get to it now, but um, he, the way he described it to me is like he was, they were parked up on top of a, a berm, almost like the dam of a tank, you know, of a pond, and then on that other side, it was a meadow, and about 100 yards out, there was a tree line and then a really big oak tree at the edge of that tree line. And he said they were shining their spotlights into that tree line, and there was something there with big, giant green eyes, glowing green eyes. He's very adamant about these green eyes. And um, he said the movement was... The, number one, the oak tree was huge, you know, very large for Texas. And it would look from side to side around this oak tree about seven feet up. <laughs> and then it would look above and below a limb. And he discussed with me, he said, no, I know it was a raccoon, and I know it wasn't possible because of the way they turned their heads. He said this thing would literally move the whole top of the body from side to side, and they could, they were shining their uh, uh, spotlight on it, but they also were a bunch of guys that worked for a government entity that made night vision, and this was back in the 80s, back when it first 
I guess, became, uh, I don't want to say popular, but it was becoming a very well-used or well-known-used piece of equipment in the military and probably law enforcement. But um, they had night vision goggles because they could could, um, check them out. And so a couple of the guys had on night vision, and they could see this silhouette, basically. Now, this is first gen, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. of this t- large, almost like a ghillie suit type entity, but large green eyes is what my husband saw. And they wanted to shoot it. And my husband said, absolutely not. We're not shooting that. We can't shoot it. You can't shoot that. And so eventually it, it left, and... Well, you know, and, it was and you can't shoot I'm it because sorry. you're not a hundred percent. It's you don't not know what human. The hell it is. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, well, you, yeah. You, you know, it, 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 you can't be a hundred percent sure that what you're shooting isn't somebody, you know, messing around, or it could have been an actual creature or whatever. But you're not a hundred percent sure. Well, the other thing, a lot of the stories that I've read and seen, and um, on well, YouTube, that's where. Most of my research has been thus far, but it doesn't work out well for people that shoot at this this being. There's a lot of stories of it just getting their friends together and then all hell breaks loose. Have you heard that, Shelley? Yeah. <laughs> they don't um, like guns. They don't like to be shot at. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, well, I've heard different variations. You know, I've heard, you know, some that, yes, that's happened, and I've also heard of some where they shoot at them and they run off and come back, you know, mm-hmm. and then, but the ones I think I've heard the most of is when people shooting at what they think is a Bigfoot, they, they end up shooting each other and <laughs> other people. Cows and, or horses or whatever. Yeah. So, so you now you know what your target cows. is. You have to yeah. definitely know what your target is before you shoot it. So this, oh, this turn. That's the first rule of hunting is mm-hmm. you don't shoot at something you can't identify positively, you know, I mean, that's basically just the illegal. I mean, you, you know, you got a tag for something and unless it's an attacking you, you know, you, you shouldn't be shooting <laughs> If you shoot another it, person, so. you'd have some explaining to do why you put a toe tag on a human. <laughs> no right. doubt. Exactly. That doesn't come no I, thought doubt. It was, I thought it was a Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. That's my defense. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. That's why I killed that rancher. So, yeah. Okay, so now right. let's fast forward to your journey from your husband's experiences. I guess this obviously fired something into you to become yeah, what did like be, a full time commando. Yeah, I mean, you went full commando on this. I mean, you became like this yeah. very well known researcher that's spending months in the freaking wilderness and you're so, all over youtube you yeah, know, there's a so, lot of videos of shelly so tell us what sparked that <laughs> well um you know i guess it had just at that time in our lives our children were were pretty much out of the house and you know that and this was i think probably when i really started looking into everything it was about eight i want to say eight years ago i and i really just delved into the internet and digging and trying to find what happened to my husband, you know, what, because I mean, I never would have thought that a creature like that would be in Texas. I think that was what was so surprising. I, you know, I, I totally remember seeing the Patterson didn't want someone when I was a young girl and, and, and thought it was so cool. And, 
And but I didn't give it that much thought because we lived all the way out here, you know, twenty five hundred miles away. And and uh, so when he told me, you know, when I figured that out, I was just really floored because I knew it was true because I know my husband and. He was so adamant about talking about it without saying what he thought it was or what he knew it was. And I just felt it compelled to find out the truth about what is going on, you know? And so the more I searched, the more I I was just intrigued by what people were saying it was and what was going on out there. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a bunch of silliness here and there, but then you've got some people that are doing some good work, and then you've got science out there telling you, no, it can't happen, and but then you've got Dr. Meldrum, and so it just, the whole, I guess, it just, the mystery just really intrigued me, and, and for my husband to be one of those those individuals that actually have an encounter, mm-hmm. which I feel is very unique and special and and um, not doesn't happen as often as we'd like for you know, like to believe. And I just it just was a drive. I don't really quite understand it myself. I just know I wanna be a part of the discovery if I can. Um I want to have a full, you know, daylight sighting myself, but that's not what drives me. I think it's just finding out what what this is, why it's here, you know, why did it move, you know, why does it cross over into Texas now? Mm-hmm. And uh, what is the history behind it and what, just anything I could find out about it, you know, factual evidence, and there really isn't hardly anything out there. And I felt compelled to just kind of go on my own search it just it just grew it went from you know really wanting to find out what happened to my husband to today where i'm really focused on the integrity of the species itself and uh, finding out the facts of the species i feel we've completely made him into something different than he's ever been and I don't want to be that. I don't want that legacy to be stuck on him, and I don't want that legacy to be stuck on us. Well, there's so many layers of Bigfoot, you know, for different groups and people. There's just so many different theories, and, you know, they get into, you know, my opinion, kind of the ridiculous, but... um, yeah, so how's the rabbit hole? Is it dark down there? or Because or... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm, well, I'm at the surface still. I've just poked my head into the rabbit hole. So let me, but you're way down in the rabbit hole. <laughs> let me ask you this, Shelly. So before, I know you had an encounter. And before we get into that yeah. story, um, I want to hear about now you've taken your, your fascination and um, your interest in this to a whole other level that you became a tracker. Uh, tell us how yes, you, how, yeah. Tell us how you did that, um, and what that all entails. Because it's not just tracking Bigfoot. It's you're a, you're a certified level two. What is it called? Like a wildlife tracker? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, uh, it's really, it's just probably the most awesome thing that I could have done for myself and what I'm doing. It's another tool for my tool belt. And and that was part of my journey was watching people and understanding that it's super frustrating to go out into the woods and, and, 
and call yourself or try to, you know, say, I'm doing research. Well, what do you mean you're doing research? You're beating on trees and doing calls? I mean, and recordings? I mean, is, are you collecting data? How are you going about that? When you find hair, if you find anything, how are you collecting that? And so for myself, I thought, you know, I need to do this the way law enforcement would want me to do it, how science would want me to do it, how my father, who's a law enforcement officer, would want me to do it. And, you know, and to get the attention of science, maybe, or to be doing it correctly and to give myself, you know, a goal and to kind of a direction, not just running through the woods on a, you know, a four-month vacation. Right. And, uh, so I created a wildlife DNA kit in the beginning for myself and, and long story short, that became popular through the Olympic project and Adam Davies. And I had been giving them away kind of as a thank you gift for people inviting me into their areas. And, and I started to learn that people were really very interested and were in that scientific idea or they really weren't, and so that helped me a lot. And so this, kind of, this is a a collect. This is a kit. It's like a crime scene uh-huh. investigation kit, like very yes, sterile. Ma'am. All the tools that you need to collect evidence, so it's not um, um, compromised. Yes, ma'am. Exactly. And I spent a lot of time on that kit. I went to the law enforcement community as well as the. Um, medical community and I wanted to make it affordable because they're super expensive and so I created it for myself it wasn't for anybody else but it, you know it kind of turned into that and I guess that's kind of where that all got my name kind of out there but then it was a tool it was something viable you know we have casting material we have recorders now I got these DNA kits and and that's great and it also taught me to practice you know, practice going out and looking for things that would maybe be considered DNA plus hair, you know, and learning how to collect it properly and videoing the process and being mentally disciplined in what I'm doing and trying to mimic what if I got something that was, you know, of importance. Well, as time went on, I really started to look into the the thoughts of citizen science, because I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't have a degree in science. I went to college, but I didn't finish. Um, I, you know, I really want to be a part of that culture, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And then through some, uh, some conferences and Dr. Meldrum and him discussing and saying, you know, citizen science is this and this is what we expect. And then if you really want to talk about it to somebody, Shelly's really trying to do that. And that just really set me on fire. And so then I started delving into the internet. What is citizen science? And I found all these amazing websites that will help people like you and me, just average Joes, um, to properly collect data and how to store it into a database and that you're in full control of it. Well, part of that, um, when you, that this one specific website called sitsci.org had a cybertracker.org was connected to them. So I'd always loved tracking what little I knew. I mean, we all, you know, if you hunt 
you have to track a little, you know, unless you're that guy that just puts out corn and waits. And and that's not what I do. I don't, I like to track down fish, you know, as well. I mean, so for me, that was just a natural progression. And so I really delved into the world of what Cyber Tracker was. And it was this wonderful citizen science conservation group that created a standard, a gentleman by the name of Louis uh, Leinberg, I think Louis Leinberg, had gone to Africa because he realized that conservation really needed volunteers to help with data collection on species all over the world, you know, worldwide. But tracking was a dying art and a dying science. So he went to the people that know it best and still use it today, and that were the Bushmen and the of of Africa. And what he learned from them was the art of tracking. And but he also learned um, that they needed our help or his help with conservation because they were illiterate and they weren't able to collect data and write it down. So he created a cyber unit, basically a little handheld unit with little emojis on it that that these gentlemen could collect their data of their species in Africa and download it into these units. But then what became really interesting was it was starting to help with, with poaching problems. And then... They even certify for people, you know, hunting down human beings. And so it really just fit into what I needed as another tool. And I just, I got home, I guess, last year in, um, when I got home last year in September, I did a conference in October in Texas and talked to Dr. Meldrum. And then I went home and I spent the next, uh, from October till May, just, extreme the extreme study in what what true tracking wildlife tracking and sign and spore was and what i found out that i, I kind of knew but i would but this really opened my eyes tracking is really about the morphology of animals and the behavior of animals so when you're tracking anything humans wildlife insects anything you are really opening up a storybook and you're learning about the morphology of the animal, the biology of the animal and its behavior, which I thought, wow, this is really what I need. So it can help me discount all other species mm-hmm. and natural occurrences before I ever think of Bigfoot. The Bigfoot should be the last thing you think something is when it happens or you find something in the woods. You need to go through that process. That, process uh, of elimination. elimination. So I was damned and determined because I then found out that the state of Texas had implemented this program, Cyber Tracker, um, to for all their biologists and game wardens because they had collected data back in the 90s on otters and it came up like 47% wrong. And so they had started, you know, really wanting their scientists in the field to become certified. But what was so great is this is for everybody, the most illiterate to the most educated. And it's not, Cyber Tracker does not teach you how to track. Now, there's many, many great books written by 
master or specialist in the cyber tracker world, that that is the standard. And so I really just, I got all the books I could. I got me a mentor. I dug around and found somebody that would actually help me because I knew my certification was going to be in May. And that was a whole series of, of talking to the right people. I had to pay around $400, but they can run from three to $400, $200 all over the country, wherever they had certifications held by whoever holds them. And, uh, it was a two-day-long uh, test out in the field with two specialists going out finding track and find from everything from insects to birds to mammals to amphibians to whatever, humans. It was all there. And uh, they told me I would fail because all biologists fail. And I said, no, that's not happening. <laughs> and it just became this new, wonderful door of opportunity for me, not only in the Bigfoot world, but in conservation and helping with data collection on things that I find are just as important, you know, and because I'm interested in, a, in everything in the woods. And, but I really think people, if people will look into things like that and give themselves and what they call their research true value, something that you can show a scientist or somebody that might have a little interest and say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, I understand. You take yourself seriously, others will, will follow suit. And so, but for, at the, you know, really at the end of the day, it's for me. If anybody else wants to follow suit, which I have another gentleman who I know out of Georgia that's been a tracker for a long time and he he went and got his certification as well. And so we're the only two in the entire Bigfoot community because our names are, are on a website. And um, they and that's part of our job is to spread that word because government entities and private entities need our help as volunteers. And if you are certified, then you have credibility with data collection. What's, okay. what's the name so, of the entity that certifies? Is it a county, state, federal, private agency that certifies trackers? Oh, yes, yes. When, you know, when we go out, when you look at data collection for, let's say, cougar in an area, they're not out actually counting the animals. They're counting their scat, their tracks, and their spine. So if you've been certified to know the difference between cougar and, you know, bobcat, I mean, they know that you, you are up to standards because the test is extremely difficult. And um, so your word is taken credibly. And if you go about helping with conservation and helping with true data collection, your word is taken. You know, you... you you fit the mold, I guess, and well, you're what, what is the entity that certifies people to be trackers? What well, what, cyber tracker is, is the only. I'm sorry. Is it federal, state, um, private? Well, cyber cyber tracker is considered a um, nonprofit organization that is recognized by federal, state, and all entities oh, okay. um, around the world. So, um, I mean, I'm sure, and to be honest with you, I've been so busy. I haven't gotten to do any true data collection on any other species or gone into any work or really 
you know, looked into it as, as, as deep as I'd like to, but, um, I know that when, you know, it even goes as far as like the people in SARS, you know, search and rescue, um, they will look at cyber tracker people to help with that. Um, so, but I mean, to be honest with you, I've just really have been crazy busy since I got certified with all the Bigfoot stuff and, and I'm still trying to get my head above water. I, I've done two conferences and I don't know, three interviews in the last month since I've been home. And so I'm just kind of all over the place right now. But, um, so now that you've got, now that you have this in your tool bag, um, which is a big tool, obviously, I mean, you know, even for the, I would think it'd be just so fun to even have that knowledge just to just being an everyday, just a hiker, you know, just being able to know what you're looking at. Cause I'm, I'm a backpacker. I'm a backcountry person. And, you know, I see tracks and, and I know, I know certain tracks, but then there's some tracks I'm like, ah, no clue tell, what Tell that her is. what you sent me a picture. She was, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. she was so, hiking up at, at a snow line and yeah. tell, her, tell Shelly oh, what yeah, you I read, sent me. I ran me. across some really big, big bear tracks. And <laughs> in here in Northern California, we don't have, uh, our winters have been very, very, very short. And so our bears are uh-huh. not hibernating and they're out there right. all winter long foraging. So I've come across some pretty darn good big bear tracks in the no, snow. No, no, the, uh, um, the snowshoe track. Oh, the snowshoe said. track. Oh, this is hilarious. Like it's not difficult enough. Yeah. So no, I was out <laughs> snowshoeing up in the Sierra and I ran across these snowshoe tracks. And well, they have these snowshoes now for kids that have, that look like, um, feet <laughs> yeah so they look like barefoot oh my God. And so they I strap said, them on their yeah so i sent janice a picture of this i said hey look what i oh i knew it was a snowshoe but it was hilarious but anyway let's let's get oh, back no. to um oh yeah they sell them at walmart oh and, yeah uh, so, yeah you should check that wow. out that's oh. uh that's but a anyway, <laughs> um so now that you have this in your tool bag now you're out there for you're, you're coming to the pacific northwest and spending like a month in the wilderness so tell us what that's like are you by yourself and your crazy experiences out there yeah um i'm 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 there for four months and i try to and i am by myself a lot but i'm not always by myself i do bfro expeditions i help with those i have a couple of buddies that um i've been trying to help this summer uh or i'll go speak at them you know if i get invited um I at least, you know, every couple of weeks will come out of the woods to go resupply and go take a bath at Cindy's house or somebody's <laughs> house maybe, and then I'm back in the woods. But um, And then I really spend a lot of time in my own uh, encounter location um, hoping something will happen again and really not a lot does. Um Weird encounters in the woods have been everything from running into, I was telling someone last night, I've run into a a man with no clothes on. Now, that wasn't out there, but I've had someone come into my camp in the middle of the night. I've had someone drop their tent in my campsite while I was gone. Um, You know, the oddest things are usually people, uh, (laughs) but I've also had weird coyotes going off all day long near my camp uh, i've had elk at the end of my camp bugling you know those are cool they're not so much weird um uh, i've had 
uh, if there's so much, I can't even think right now, but if as it comes up, you, you know, sent me a, I'll, I'll shout it out. You text me some uh, recording. You talk about that experience. You were in your tent and something was throwing things at you. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So in 2015, I had um, flown in to uh, the Pacific Northwest and with people would, I was there for about three weeks that year at that time and had been dropped off in different locations and, you know, kind of doing research here and there. And then I flew back home. I think it was three weeks or four weeks. I can't remember. And then two days later, I got in the car and drove straight back to meet up with another gentleman, um, Kurt Brandenburg, who's fantastic. And, another friend, Nathaniel Bronis, and um, they're both with the BFRO. And uh, I didn't know them, but I knew of them. And so they had committed to to hanging out with me for three weeks and taking me to some new interesting locations to um, where there had been some historical, you know, sightings and things like Oregon that. Oregon or Washington? Washington. In the Cascades. Uh, near Mount Rainier. Okay. So, and I'll tell you later, I don't want to announce it on on the show, not because I don't want people to know that's not the problem. It's just I don't want 500,000 people to show up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I would never ask you to be well, specific. They, well, yeah, but then you, you know. get the freaks that'll come out there and want to mess with people, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we... Myself and another gentleman drove up there, a friend of ours, and literally as soon as we got there, and I I didn't know what to think. I hadn't had anything happen to me yet. And when we got there, we got there around 6 in the evening. There started these large, almost like shotgun, gunshot, loud gunshot noises, or I'll say that, knocks coming off of a ridge and uh i thought oh surely not there's not somebody up there shooting a gun that's a long that's a long hike there's you know that's crazy and of course i turn on my recorder and i'm asking the guys what do y'all think is that is that gunshot and they're like i don't know you know it was just so loud and prominent but anyway it started moving down the ridge towards the base of the ridge and then towards our camp. Uh, And then there were others coming from different directions behind us (laughs) and in front of us. And it was getting louder and moving closer and closer. So I was just, I didn't know what to think. I thought, really? I drove all the way back here to find Bigfoot and he's here. That's just (laughs) silly. You know, it was just really hard for me to believe. And, and and the amount of wood knocks and the power behind them, I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. I thought this is this really is just not happening. It can't be that. And it's how remote how remote is this? Are there other logging roads in the area? Um, paint us a picture of how remote you are. Well, it, to be honest with you, it it's uh, it's near a lake. It is off of a, an old mining road. There are old hunting camps 
everywhere. Uh, at this time, there's nobody there because there are no other, the area is a lot, a lot of, uh, of lodgepole pine and very soft silica dust in the area. It's very close to, um, it's on the edge of, of the Cascades in the uh, Gifford Pinchot where it goes from the, di- the dry, deserty kind of barren area into the forested area. So it's kind of that transitional area to me it is, even though it's a piney forest, uh, uh, it's still it's still um, dry, very dry there. And um, there's people that camp on the other side of the lake that's about a mile away. Uh, there's people that camp on the same in the same area we do, but there was no one there because this is during the burn ban. And um, it seems like when there's the burn ban, nobody wants to camp because they can't have a fire, I guess. So, which that was the other thing. I was just like, hey, really? And we're probably five miles down this this road. And then we're off that, that main road another, I think, another quarter of a mile. It's really hard to get into. It was, um, we were having to uh, clear, the, clear the roads a little bit, you know, back to where the camp spot was. It was an area that it looked like had not been used in years and years and years. And, um, but it was pretty secluded and it put us between the ridge line and the lake and the headwaters of this lake. And, uh, so anyway, that went on throughout the night. And so the next day we got up and made a plan and lo and behold, the same time about, dusk, you know, or six-ish, seven-ish, it wasn't quite dusk then, but here we go, the same giant would not come off of that ridge and start working their way towards us, and we had decided no no camp light, of course, no fire, and there were a couple of the, the guys there, Kirk and, and another gentleman, and, and then another guy that was just there for the day. Uh, for the night, they went and got in their tents, and just myself and Nathaniel stayed up because Nathaniel's a small, he's, he's small as I am almost, taller, but he's young. So we decided we're just going to stay up and make a lot of noise and yell and holler in the night. And, um, and we sat there laughing and yelling and I, I really, I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't there. Oh, and this is also on a full moon. It's on the second full moon of the month, so it's a blue moon. It's it's actually August first or July thirty first, August first, twenty fifteen. And uh here comes the wood knocks and and there had been some other things happened and some night walks the night before where we got something got in between myself and some other guys and was knocking and anyway, this night, these wood knocks, I mean, literally came to the edge of my camp. And I could tell where this thing was just by almost, I felt like I could not see, I couldn't see the entity, but I could tell where he was because the knocks were so close. And you know, with lodgepole pine, 
there really isn't any, um, when, with the older ones, there are no lower limbs. The limbs are like 20 feet up before you actually, you know, can reach a limb. And so there wasn't a lot of undergrowth. It's super dry. And there's one, this large one that's making these giant knocks is working his way into camp, to the edge of camp. And there's another one down in this elk meadow that's stationary that's knocking back. <laughs> and it's a more passive knock. And I have the recordings, but anyway, we're just kind of just yelling and just kind of talking amongst ourselves and pretending we're not paying attention to it, to the noise. And there's this one huge knock right on the edge of camp and... I knew exactly where he was because all the birds flew out of the tree at two o'clock in the morning over my camp. And then it worked its way through the tree line. It was not quiet. It, it broke stuff. It didn't care whatever it was at that moment. And then I heard uh, this very odd noise. It was very different than what the previous knocks had been. And I'll kind of demonstrate it for you if I can, it, because it didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard, but it sounded like this. Sounded like a, 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 like a cork. champagne bottle pop. Yeah, like a champagne bottle pop. Uh-huh. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, and I look towards that noise, I was like, what, what's that, you know? and all of a sudden, it walked out. There was a silhouette, this giant silhouette. And, you know, I'm staring, and I say to my buddy, what the F is that? And he says he looks at the brim of my hat and looks towards the same direction, and he sees it as well. But he sees it, I see it three times, go through, you know, walking through the trees, through the tree line, and Remember, we had really, really good moonlight. I mean, it was so bright. It was like watching a black and white movie is the best way I can describe it. And um, I saw this giant silhouette from about the waist or a little lower than the waist, maybe up. Work, you know, go through the tree three times and towards the other entity that was knocking. And then I guess my buddy saw it. I call it the fourth frame. As it turned, and he could see the light shining through the where the arm was hanging, you know. And uh, I told him, I said, "Don't, don't, don't talk to me. Just, just draw what you saw tomorrow. I don't want you to pull up my mind. I'm going to draw what I saw, and then we'll compare and see if we, you know, come up with the same thing." And and uh, anyway, that. As soon as it walked out, showed itself, and it looked like it moved really fast, but I could tell you it wasn't running. It just was big and moving. It just, you know, it, it, to me it felt like it was almost on a skateboard, kind of floating down that that incline towards the meadow and through the trees. Uh, but it, it, I think it probably took about five seconds for me to see what I saw and it was gone and it headed towards the other entity that was knocking, you know, answering the knock and they would do only single knocks, no multiples. And then everything stopped. It completely stopped. Nothing else, no more zip done. 
And um, so I I had to go to bed. You know, of course, you know, we're, we wake up the guys and we're telling them we saw something, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to draw it. They're, we're going to take all of our measurements, evaluations the next day. And um, I'd actually had my little tiny tent in that tree line. So it literally walked behind my tent. And everybody else was camped away from me. So I had to go over there oh, sleep in that little tiny tent. And what were you feeling at this time? I don't mean to sound like a psychologist, but what, what, when you saw that thing, it was like hitting the lottery for you, I'm sure. Well, I actually didn't believe it. I really was... I mean, I didn't know what to think, honestly, because I'm seeing a silhouette. I'm not seeing hair in a face. I'm seeing, you know, a large, upright entity lumbering, really, but not lumbering, but just moving, really gliding through the woods. And, of course, you know, I honestly, to be honest with you, I really got upset. I got frustrated um, they told me I cried all day. I wouldn't talk to anybody if I didn't have to. I drew my picture. My friend drew his picture, and they matched. It was great. It was like watching a movie. Um, but I didn't have proof of anything. And I was mad. Um, I wouldn't talk about it at all. I wouldn't listen to the recordings at all for about six months. Wow. Um, really affected you. Yeah, it you know, it didn't scare me. It just it made me question my sanity to be honest with you. Mm. But what was really even crazier was I called my friend Shane Corson in and he came in the next day and he actually found an impression in that soft sand somewhere where it had crossed um the road or back down the way and I asked him where and he couldn't remember but he got me a picture but so I had these crazy knocks for two days with another person sitting there had a sighting of a you know I would call class B of a of a great silhouette um I have all of it on recording I have an impression that was really good and then nothing else happens it just dies we we had done well. I say it dies. We the next evening had done. I think it was the next evening or maybe the next one. We had done um, some. We had one of the guys get up on the hill because he had had an encounter that was extremely aggressive. Screams behind his tent, so he mimicked those. And then we had two giant tree pushovers up on the ridge. I mean, they were huge. But that was it. Like, they didn't care anymore. They weren't coming down. There were no more knocks the next night. Um, so we left. And um, Kirk and Nathaniel said, come on, Shelly, we're, we're going to take you to some other places. And we had done run around Washington. And then six days later, we decided, hey, let's go back. Drive all day long back to the location six days later. And we pitch our tent. I then decide I'm pitching my tent in between Kirk and Nathaniel's tent because I'm not staying in the tree line anymore. <laughs> but not. I have, yeah, I have some fear now. And uh, 
but I was exhausted. And one thing I would always do is just throw my, I would keep my rain fly on my tent, but I would throw the sides of the fly up so that my, I could see out my windows just in case anything happened. I wouldn't have to unzip, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I just remembered that I was very adamant about making sure everything was cleaned up around, you know, where I was putting my tent because I can't stand sleeping on anything that's going to poke through my sleeping pad or anything like that. And so, but that night I was exhausted. I didn't even change my clothes or slept in my clothes. I forgot to put up the flaps on my tent. Um, Kirk put out a recorder. I didn't even put out a recorder, and I always do. Um, but around daybreak, I was awoken by what I thought was a nightmare, and I actually was having a, somewhat of a nightmare. I hadn't seen my kids in weeks, and I was worried about my daughter, and you know, I was thinking about her, and I, I just remember jolting awake, you know, like mm-hmm. just jumping up, and I thought, Go back to sleep. You're you're worrying about Lacey. You'll talk to her soon. Everything's fine. Just go back to sleep. So I lay my head back down and fall asleep. And then all of a sudden I hear, bam, boom, 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 boom. And I know that's what had woke me up for. And it wasn't a nightmare because I could feel something bouncing on the ground next to my tent because I could feel it through my my sleeping pad. And I just lay there and I'm, I'm ticked off because now I don't have the flaps on my tent open. I can't <laughs> see out. And I'm in this itty-bitty tent and I don't know what the heck is going on. You know, I'm thinking, is this elk? Is this, What is this? And, and I lay there and just the fear, I guess, of the unknown of what is going on outside of my tent and is, are the guys hearing this? And because how close is it? <laughs> I'm sorry? And how close is it, you know, to your yeah. tent? You and don't you're just know. in a little like piece that. of nylon. Right. So it sounded like something right. heavy was thrown and dropped on the ground next to you. It kind of reverberated a little bit the ground or? Yeah, well, so basically what was happening was thick, large, or, you know, I would say three-inch diameter sticks that were broken and rocks about the size of, I don't know, um, a golf ball um, were flying in and hitting the tree next to my tent just over and over, you know, every couple of minutes. Was this, this was at daylight now this was happening? Right when it was, sun was coming up? Is it? Pre-dawn. It's okay. Right at pre-dawn. Let me ask you this. So is, do they think that this creature could possibly is nocturnal? Does it sleep during the day? Because all these encounters always happen at night. What's going on during the day? Anything? I think so. I think, to be honest with you, I do believe they're, they're nocturnal to a point. But I think they do that. And there's a specific word for it, and I can't recall it, but where they feed for a while or do whatever they do, and then they might sleep for a while. And then, you know, even deer do that. You know, they don't sleep all day. You know, they move around, they eat, they sleep, they move around, they eat, they sleep, you know. Um, Yeah, I think they're probably more active at night. 
But uh, what we think that happened, and this is just speculation from the from what's going on in the area, but so we're right next to this lake at the headwaters, and they're coming off the ridgeline. I'm pretty sure of that because that's where those knots would come from every night. And I think what may have happened was we got there so late. And I think these things come off that ridge and head towards that lake and, and that river system and that ridge line, I mean, that headwaters to do whatever they do there. And they were heading back that early morning. And when they came through our camp, we weren't there when they came in, the, you know, that when they were going down and then they sh- and then they show up to go back and we're there and you know people always ask me because i found the rock i mean they were all over the place but they never hit me they never hit the tent they hit that tree and i know where they were i could i could take you there and show you exactly where they were standing i could show you where they got the rock i've been crawling all over this place since all of this activity had happened because I wanted to know. And we were documenting everything we could and to come back and these things. And it, I mean, literally in the audio, it to me sounded like a rocket comes through the air, you know, just bam, you know, just Mm -hmm. so loud. It literally made you jump out of your skin and then go boom, 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 you know, on the, on the ground. And, um, I think they were trying to get us out of the tent to assess how many there were. I don't think they're trying to run people off. They want to see who's there and if they're threatening and how many of them, how many of you are there, maybe. Yeah, because if you look at primate behavior specifically, like we know uh, chimpanzees will not approach or attack another troop if they're outnumbered. We know a lot of animals count, you know, chickens count, horses count, primates count. I don't see why these things wouldn't be counting where are the humans so we know how many there are and to just keep our eye on where they're at. You know what I mean? It's kind Mm -hmm. of like they're in that area, we're in this area, we just need to make sure we're not going to run into one. That's kind of how I feel, and I know I'm reaching. Well, so that, you know, maybe they know where who's accounted for and if there's people that are missing the next day then that means that there's others right. out because maybe they're trying to be elusive and they don't right. want to be discovered and, and, right and i just don't feel i didn't feel like they were trying to intimidate me even though those rocks were loud and it did intimidate me i just felt like I mean, think about it. If a rock comes flying into your camp and you saw it land there, what do you do? You run over and look at it and pick it up. It's way easier to get us to move so they can see us better than it is for them to move around mm-hmm. to see us better. And I think they use that to get us to move around so they can assess the situation. I mean, surely they if there's more than one of them, they're they're doing that even when they hunt. You well, know? I was going to interject I mean, I something know. real quick. Um, real quick, there was an incident that I, when I was on an expedition, um, the first one, at um, it was Cascade Expedition two years ago, and 
Uh-huh. It was the afternoon, and where we were was, you know, there was traffic. There was four-wheelers, other campers on this, using this gravel road that bordered our campground. But mm-hmm. it was late afternoon, and some of us were hanging out around a, the campfire, just hanging out and talking, kind of out of sight. You couldn't see anybody from the road. Then all of our vehicles were kind of lined up. There was some people from Alaska in this big RV, and... um they were milling around doing whatever in the afternoon and then there was a gentleman that was parked in a in a car right next and alongside the rv and um uh-huh. i was hanging out with cindy and jared and them and we were talking and the one uh, member came running up to where we were and said somebody something just threw a rock um, and hit my car um uh-huh. and so of course we burst out of the camp you know, around the campfire, I go running over there with my video camera or whatever. And what it was, was the area that it came from, and it wasn't a big rock, and we never found it, but we see where it, it skidded off the paint and took the uh-huh. paint off of his car. And when we walked over right. into any of the possibilities of where this entity threw this rock, it was just, it was a, like deer trails and thick bramble. And we followed it as far uh-huh. as we could, but there was nobody around and no reason. There was right. no kids, nobody, none, nobody whatsoever, no explanation. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can, a lot of times when I was an investigator, you know, you can almost nine times out of 10, figure out the trajectory of where something came from based on, you know, the splatter, uh, the paint, mm-hmm. how it came off, and it definitely came from across the road, and there was nothing over there, and that was weird. Right. So I just wanted to interject that story. That freaked everybody out, and uh, I said, well, you know, you can go to your insurance agent and tell them that maybe Bigfoot caused the paint <laughs> chip off your car. Yeah. Uh, I don't see how that would fly, but anyway, so we it was, you know, we left us all scratching our head, so. Yeah, well, and the thing is about this location, what I love about it is we're on a middle plane. It's like a three-tiered stair-step plane. You know, there's low areas and tree lines where they can approach from, from the low areas, but they as well can approach from the higher area behind us. Mm-hmm. And so it gives them the perfect opportunity to observe, you know, if they were if they were to do that. But I really feel like if they wanted to hit my tent and if they wanted me to leave, they would hit my tent. They could have mm-hmm. hit my tent very easily. Cause that tree was a lot uh, harder of a target than my tent. And what creeped me out was they were nailing that tree every time. And it was from a good 40, 50 yards at least. And it had some juice and at the I, end of it. Sounds like. Oh yeah. I was just, I was scared to death and I'm laying there and in the audio you hear me call out kind of I'm trying to whisper and but you can hear me you know going Kirk and <laughs> you know I get no response because I'm thinking surely they're hearing this you know mm-hmm. and um, then it, it went on for 30 minutes we have it you know on the audio and um, then I hear the birds start chirping and Everything's starting to come alive, and I jump out of my tent, and Kirk and Nathaniel get up, and I was like, did you guys hear that? You know, I'm really animated, and I'm jumping up and down, and they're like, what, what? And I'm like, look at this, look, that was throwing rocks at this tree, and I was throwing the rocks and hitting the tree, and Kirk was like, oh, Shelly, 
you're, yeah, whatever. And then he says, all right, all right, I'll listen to the audio. And I'm talking to Nathaniel and I'm explaining to him what I'm hearing. He goes, I think I heard something. I think I heard something. I said, next thing I know, Kurt's got both headphones on his head. And you can literally hear that rock or, or limb or whatever, uh, giant stick hit that tree you hear ow come out of those headphones and he just looks at me and he goes i am so sorry (laughs) and uh, so we you know that after all of that i just didn't know what thinking you know i mean i knew what i i felt had happened to me and i was there my friends were there and they're very you know, mentally disciplined and don't go on to the, you know, everything is science-based as best we can. And and um, I just kind of wouldn't talk about it. And I wouldn't even admit it. And uh, I get it. So I get it, Shelly. I, I had a an unidentified flying object encounter back in the mid-80s. And uh, I don't tell uh-huh. many people about it. And it was, I was by myself. And, you know, I, all I know is what I saw. And that's all I can say, right. you know, I mean, whether it's, whether, whether what it was, was from outer space, I don't know, but it was very weird and it's what I saw and that's all I can say about it. It was a PG&E it. helicopter yeah, checking whatever. the lines. Yeah, no, um, it's a whole, it's a whole story show. It's a whole show. Um, we'll let you know when that one airs, but, um, okay. but we have, um, we're kind of running out of time here, so I just want to kind of wrap this up and and find out now what's next for you. Um, I know you're doing a lot of conferences. Are you um, are you done going out in the field for the season? No, no, no. I I I'll venture into Oklahoma and you know wherever I I go as far as Florida. You know I've I've spent time there. Um, I've gone into Georgia. Uh, I do uh, frequent Oklahoma quite a bit. I feel like that's probably here in in our region one of the better places to go. But it's it's difficult out here because you know it's so concentrated as far as there's so much private land. It's not like the Pacific Northwest where you've got mm-hmm. you know BLM BLM land, and um, we just really struggle to find public places where there's not a ton of big sitters. So um, I've got, you know, other people wanting to go out and and I want to do that. I'm looking into, um, I've got, let's see, I think I got a couple more conferences in April and May. um, And then I'm going to really delve deeply more into my uh, wildlife tracking and really start working on that some more. And, you know, I'll never stop being certified. I'll just try to get further and further up the professional ladder in that aspect. Do you have a website address or a YouTube channel or any place where people can go check you out? I I don't. I, you know, um, I just have my Facebook page. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't put a lot about, Bigfoot on there because, and and I'm just going to say this, as a woman in the field doing a lot of stuff is pertaining to going out in the woods and working the dirt. By yourself. I get a, <laughs> by myself. Yeah. 
I get a lot of flack. I get yeah. a lot of of uh, hate, and uh, you know, people. I don't understand it. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting the the culture. You know, and I forget I'm a woman. It's not about that at all for me. Uh, I do love love working with other women because I find that they're super detailed minded and when they're really interested in true discovery and research and conservation and data collection like Cindy Cadell, I mean, gosh, she's one of my best friends and I I really her and I are looking into doing an all women's event. Oh, I um, wanna go. <laughs> okay. I'll drive up there uh, again. <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it's going to be, I mean, you can talk to Cindy more about it. It, it, um, it. We really, really want it to be data collection of all things in the area. And really what the purpose of it is, is, is to make ourselves approachable versus trying to approach the creature. Right. And we're going to do some experimenting with repetitive behavior and just doing the same things every day, being in the same place at, at the same time every day. Um, there will be some restrictions on those who apply and are accepted to come and join the group uh, because you're going to have to be able to hike so many miles a day. Um, it'll be pretty strenuous as far as just there won't be any drugs or alcohol allowed. Um Dr. Damn. Melvin said he would help us with it. <laughs> well, Jan's a hiking and... fool. Yeah, Denise is out. <laughs> I'm out. Jan might be a good candidate. <laughs> no, seriously. I, that's great. But, you know, we're, we've been trying to work on it for the last year, and it's kind of difficult because we're both busy lives, and then we live so far apart. Mm -hmm. But that's the next, like, major goal. And then um, I'm looking into uh, working with, I'm looking into some EMS work as far as uh, experiments that I might want to try. And uh, I you really think that there's some electronic, um, electric magnetic field that occurs when they're around? You think there's a spike in that? Well, no, I don't know that they're giving off an, a magnetic field, but I know everything does, mm -hmm. right? And I know a lot, we know for sure a lot of mammals and, um, Animals in general use EMS to navigate, find food, mm -hmm. and I've been doing some research on primates, and they're finding um, a little. Uh, and I'm not. I, I I have to read things over and over and over to understand them, but there's something called a cryptochrome that is part of the retina that they believe in uh, orangutan actually might be able to be a EMF detection device, but very minimal. And so my thought process is, I know, you know, a lot of people talk about the IR light with game cameras and just electronic equipment in general. I'm wanting to go in and try to get rid of all EMF in with the game cameras and recorders and then deploy them for long periods of time and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. See if it affects any kind of wildlife. If I can, you know, wrap it in carbon fiber paint that are grounded or whatever 
But it's just some, you know, something more I'm interested in and just another quote-unquote viable and it, tool. And I'm or pretty sure I'm, for you and maybe others, it's never going to end. <laughs> but hey, you know yeah. what? It's an adventure. And, uh, well, I would oh, love yeah. to meet you someday. Um, who Absolutely. Knows? I'm yeah. sure we will. Yeah, we're going to run into each other because I'm in the I'm crawling down the rabbit hole right now. So Mm -hmm. um, and I love Cindy and Jared and uh, I've met Shane Corson and uh, Randy Sylvie is just a kick. Um, This is uh all new to me. Denise is just watching. Yeah. Yeah. And they these people, I mean, this is the second time I've driven eight hours to go hang out with people I didn't really know. But they got me up there a second time and I'm I'm in it. I'm in it now. <laughs> I'm sure that we'll, we'll be there. I I was going to, I think I was supposed to come, well, I had to work another BFRO expedition, I think, this last year when Cindy was having one of hers, when I would have been there if, if I didn't have to work, but yeah, I was, I was given a presentation. And, Sisters? Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, we'll definitely meet up and hang out and, uh, It'll be, you know, a lot of fun, and I'm sure I can learn a lot from you. And and um, if you're friends with Cindy, I know you're good people. And I I really appreciate you ladies giving me your time. I, I'm very humbled that you asked me to speak today. Oh, no, we appreciate your time. Absolutely, sure. I've heard a lot of good things about you. And uh, you're in, inspirational to women. Just your bravery well, alone, you. and now you're still going out there after well, you and, see and this the thing giant is too, thing in the forest. You know, forest. whether it's a, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's whatever it is, yeah. it's it's finding that passion and actually going out mm-hmm. there and doing it, and just quit saying you're going to do it and actually go out there and do it. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it, girlfriend. You are absolutely going out there and doing it in a big way. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. I, you know, I don't know, and I will tell you, going out for months at a time and taking that time and money away from your family and friends. I miss, I have missed both my children's birthdays every year for the last five years and my anniversary. Uh, my dog died this summer while I was gone Aww. and three of my friends. And it's a very selfish, you know, passion that I have, but I have, and it's very, it's lonely. It's frustrating it's hard work, you know, because I'm the only one that's, you know, unpacking and packing and sitting out there in the middle of the night in the dark, hoping that, um, that you know, that, that tree that just fell was just a tree that fell. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people quite understand how emotionally crazy it is on you and, um, it's like you want, you, you want to find book, Bigfoot, but then you don't, but you don't. right at the same time. <laughs> right. And, and um, it, it, you know, I struggle at the end of my trip. The last month, I'm pretty much a mess. But, I, I you know, I trudge through, and I'm just very fortunate to have great family members and friends that support me and are, believe in me. And um, so. I know my husband I, wouldn't let me out there. I, I have when I want to go on a, a few days out backpacking. I have to work on him for about a year before that trip to get him ready for it. And plan. <laughs> God. Yeah. He's like, oh, honey, I'm going to be out I, of the Pacific Crest Trail for six months. Yeah, that wouldn't fly. Not in a million years. Oh, well, that comes in. You know, better to mm-hmm. ask for forgiveness than permission. Gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I have an in reach 
so I'm able to text my husband every day, no matter where I'm at. Yeah, I have one of those, too. And, those are great. Oh, my gosh, girl. If you don't have one and you go yeah. missing in the woods, and I don't understand why people don't carry them in, and, you know, that's, it's just it's oh, the best piece of equipment ever. Next to my 45, <laughs> those are the two things. Exactly. You know, my in and my 45, and I, I'll be okay. <laughs> do, you have the, so. do you have the full-size inReach or do you have the mini? I just got the mini. No, I have the full-size one. I'm okay. actually on my third one. I, I'm really hard on equipment, and I've run over them, and oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I've tore them up. But, um, yeah, I'm on my third full-size one, but... I keep it on as long, you know, year round because I'm always going and it's just great. I love them. Awesome. Well, you, you stay in touch and, uh, we'll keep in touch with you. I we'll will. let you know when this goes on, uh, online and I really appreciate, right. you know, your time. Well, sure. Absolutely. And I appreciate you ladies. And, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's really inspirational to have other women in the field that, you know, are passionate and work hard and are diligent minded and, and not emotionally driven. You know, I mm-hmm. tell people, be careful, you know, using your emotions and belief to drive what you do because it just leads you down the road to fallacies. You know, your <laughs> truth doesn't care how you feel. <laughs> right. So. right. That's, that's right. right. All right, Shelley. Well, thank you so much. Maybe have you on again if you'll let us. Oh, absolutely. I'd love it. And oh. thank you, too. And, and anytime. Okay. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. That... Look, can you imagine sleeping in a little tiny tent? And, you know, I mean, people, I, I follow a lot of YouTubers that do the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada, and they talk about sleeping in the woods by themselves a lot on that 2,650-mile journey through the highest and remote, remote, most remote places in uh, that whole section of the trail. And they talk about deer walking around their camp all mm-hmm. night long, keeping them awake, and and all kinds of noises that they hear in the forest that keep them up awake, and and it gets it's a little unnerving. And then after a while, after twenty six hundred miles of this, they kind of get used to it and like yeah, whatever. But well, still, you become familiar with sounds of wildlife. You and, do. You get familiar with it I night after night the, after night. In the dead of night, like I know that. Um, even mice in the forest, they sound really loud right. because there's no other sound. But to have a like a major league baseball pitching velocity yeah, rock in rocks. front of a tree yeah. and hit it Animals and be accurate. Animals don't do that. <laughs> right. I mean, there's nothing in the forest that could throw a rock. Yeah, they don't have thumbs. Not even a bear. Right. As far as I know. No. And to have something with a velocity hit a tree that loud more than once, hit the same tree. Well, I think they need to sign them up for a Major League Baseball. Yeah. Jesus. So are we going up there? If they, if we make, oh hell we'll, yeah, we'll have to apply and oh, see if we. Oh, I'm gonna go home and pack my truck right now. You better yeah. get to hiking, girlfriend. Get uh, in shape. Your oh, she makes honey. it sound like it's gonna be gnarly. Well, you're gonna do that. I'll be the camp bitch. <laughs> I'll be the comedy relief. Hey, cook for us. And y'all come back. Oh, yeah, cook, <laughs> You'll be whatever. cookie. Yeah, and then watch. Something completely crazy will happen to me while you guys are out looking, yeah, and I'll see? be there. You'll be at camp. Right. You'll be by yourself. Yeah, you'll find me in a fetal position under the truck, <laughs> drooling and babbling incoherently, probably. Oh, my God. All right, well, we're going to get out of here and uh, go search for Bigfoot. Go stir some more shit up somewhere so okay. we can talk about it. All right. All right, well, that's another episode of... Ranch Go Ranch.